yet to fill. He'll leave us. The Dan James took power as regional leader during the pandemic. This will be the first time a lot of have met James. But the info he's got, our is connected with me as well. So on behalf of the church, I want to thank you for higher phone calls, higher Zoom meetings, even with me so far. I've got to say, so far, so good. So let's hear it. We have FCC launched Thank you so much, Kevin. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. Does the sun always shine like this? Yes. I thought it was just such a pleasant drive up. I was thinking, I could move up here. I could move up here. Actually, the last time I was up here, it was just like this as well. So, you know, that was the summertime. Yeah, so, is it, is it different between times? No, no, no. So, actually, when I was tempted to move up in the summer, I, I, it wasn't just a blip. This is, my goodness, I, I never knew that there was a corner of Scotland that got so much sunshine. Um, but in all seriousness, it is great to be with you. It does help with the sunshine, doesn't it? Um, it affects us all. But it is lovely to be with you uh, in Frisbee today. Um, Kevin, thank you for uh, such a warm welcome. He's a great guy, your pastor, isn't he? And his wife, too, as well. And you've heard and, and you've seen what he can do. 
and he will do it. And it's good to, to just to think about the things that God has done before, but the greater things that God wants to do in the future. So bless you. Keep trusting, keep following, and, and keep loving Jesus. And it's really just good to be with you this morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to um, first, the first book of Kings, chapter 19. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, and 
Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aaron. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shahat, from Abel Mahomet, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to the earth, and whose mouths have not kissed each So Elijah went from there, found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was tied on twelve yoke oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will comfort you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Amen. Yes, you could call my talk today something like this. When times are difficult, you need to keep plowing your food. Um, this story, amongst other things, records the call of Elisha and how he uh, went from being Farmer's son, farmhand if you like, uh, to follow Elijah and eventually becoming Elijah's successor. But before all of that happened, we have uh, quite a story that's connected to Elijah and what was going on in his life. Elijah is one of the greatest prophets in the history of the people of Israel, the people of God. And he's right up there with Moses. I think if you read the scriptures, all those scriptures that record the history between the days of Moses and the days of Elijah, there's no one else. There was no one else. And since the time of Moses, who performed the kind of miracles that Elijah performed. Elijah appeared on the scene, appeared in Israel's history at a very, very difficult time. He appeared at a time when many of the people had forsaken God and had begun to worship Baal. They had done that because of the influence of Israel's most wicked king and most wicked wasn't a great time to be alive, was it? You could have picked a better time to be born. Unfortunately, you don't get, you don't get a chance to pick one year you're born in, do you? Um, it, but these were really, really dark days. Um, the, the people who were most committed to God had gone around, really gone undercover. And because they, there was fear everywhere, people were afraid of Ahab, and they were afraid in particular of his wife, Jezebel. And God raises up 
Elijah, it's almost as though Elijah comes from nowhere. He's a Tishbite. Um, scholars don't even seem to be able to, to work out exactly where that is. So he, he, it's just like he comes out of nowhere. And he appears on the scene and he makes this declaration to King Ahab. He says, There's going to be no rain for three and a half years. There's going to be drought. And of course, as soon as he says that, he's a monarch man and he has to go on the run. 1 Kings 18 records how he appears on the scene here. He shows up to save the public life. And this time he shows up because he, he wants to challenge the prophets of Baal, all the false prophets. And you know the story, I'm sure, if you've, if you've been around church or around the Christian faith any length of time, you'll know how Elijah went up to Mount Carmel and he challenged the prophets of Baal. And they made a sacrifice, and he told them that they would have called the fire from heaven, and then he would do the same. And whoever, whoever got an answer to their prayers, it was their God that the people of Israel should worship. I mean, it was high stakes, wasn't it? You know, if you say, I'm going to pray the fire's going to come from heaven, um, it's going to be pretty obvious whether that happens or not. And so this was high stakes. Uh, and the prophets of Baal, they, they sort of do their worship all day, and they, they pray all day, and nothing happens. And Elijah is so confident in God that he, he, he douses the sacrifice with water. He, it's like he, he does all the things that he would do um, to make sure that there could be no um, optical illusions, there could be, uh, you know, it, it couldn't be some sleight of hand or some sort of trick, some sort of magic. And then he prays, and of course the fire falls from heaven. And then, um, I don't think this ministry exists today, uh, but then he kills 400 false prophets. Um, that's not a New Testament ministry, it's, it's not there in it's 12. Um, and then he prays, and he prays seven times, and the rain comes on the land, it begins to rain, there's no rain for three and a half years, at this point, if you were left to complete the story, if you didn't know what came next, you would write something like this. And after the rain came, all the people turned to God. Ahab and Jezebel repented of their sins and acknowledged that the God of Israel was the true God. I was going to say that they all lived happily ever It's all you almost expect that. You, you wouldn't, if you didn't know the story, you wouldn't expect what happened. Because the next thing that happens is Elijah gets his message from Jezebel that she is going to kill him. And even though Elijah is, in my opinion, he is the, one of the most courageous people in the whole of the Bible. You know, I've, I've read some commentators that say, oh, Elijah lacked courage and, you know, he, he ran away in fear. I don't think he did. I think he was so emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted. He just, he couldn't cope with it anymore. And he fell apart, and he ran away. Now, I, I don't know how people reacted to this, but there must have been a lot of disappointment. You know, the man that called her heart from heaven, the man that could bring rain from heaven, and the man who, who was, you know, the foremost prophetic voice, was, well, nobody knew where he was. It just disappeared. They didn't know he would come back. 
They didn't know what was wrong with him. They didn't know if he had forsaken his faith as well. And so there was kind of a vacuum. And, and the whole of, of 1 Kings 19 is really all about Elijah's, I suppose we would call it, was kind of a breakdown that he had. He, he was burnt out, I think is the, sort of the, the modern term that we would use to describe and God very gently and tenderly puts Elijah's life back together again. Read this on your own, just to, to see how tender and gracious God is. Sometimes I think in, in this passage, God's almost, he's just, he's not quite playing games with Elijah. He's just, he's just giving him a, a, you know, a wee nudge, as you'd say. You know, Elijah keeps saying this thing, I'm the only one that God says, by the way, like there's seven thousand other people um, that haven't found their, their, their need to deal either. So Elijah eventually begins to recover again, and God says to him, I want you to do something. I want you to anoint three people. I want you to anoint Hazael. He's going to be the next king of Aram. I want you to anoint Jehu. Who's going to take over in Israel? And I want you to anoint Elisha as your successor. When times are difficult and there are big challenges, God's answer is always people, or nearly always people. God raises up people who will advance His plans and His kingdom. And so God says to Elijah, here's Three people, I want you to go and I want you to pour upon you now I want you to call them into the purpose that I have Do you know there may be some of us here, we, the last two and a half years, and I keep saying this forever, the last two and a half years have been difficult for everyone and very difficult for some people. And just to be thought we get out of all the uncertainty, something is important. Elijah, what are you doing here? 
How did you get to where you're at? Um, the, the, the encouraging thing about that is, when God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? It didn't take him another three years to get out of the cave. God was able to, to give him something to move forward. And, and I believe that God, if, 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 if you're at the place where Elijah was, if you've been hiding in your cave and you're just at the entrance of the cave now and you're not sure whether to step out or step back in, and God wants to invite you to come out because He still has things for you to do. It's a new season, it's a different day. And actually, Elijah got on his feet again, he got on track again, and he finished well. You know, when he called Elijah, it wasn't the end of his ministry, it was just the beginning of a new phase. And God has new things for us. He has new things for you. So please don't despair, don't lose heart. God is still for you. So the, the first person that Elijah encounters is Elisha, this prophet, or this former son called Elisha. And he meets him when Elisha is out flying with the heat. In some ways, you couldn't, couldn't imagine um, a more unusual place for God to meet with Elisha. He's just getting on with his life. He's trying to, to just live his life and when times are difficult. His family are just trying to get on with life when times are difficult. Elisha was plying his faith, or his father's faith, when the whole country was going up on. You know, whatever's going on, we need to keep flying our feet. Right around here, it's, it was a great uh, visual illustration of what I was thinking about talking about today. There's so many flying feeds. You know, a farmer never says, there's a pandemic, I can't find my feeds. A farmer never says there's a war. Who knows? I don't even want to say it in terms of third world war. I don't believe that's what's going to happen. But um, there's all sorts of things going on, so we can't fire our feeds. Farmers plow their feeds because they're livelihood, their income, and actually, in those days, survival depended on your feeds, sowing a crop and leaving the harvest. It wasn't the case of, we're doing this to make more money. We're doing this because if we don't, if we don't do it, we might all die. None of us might be here this time next year. So this was absolutely crucial. When the world was falling apart, when the greatest prophet had fallen apart, Elisha was plowing his feet. You know, Jesus talks about the kingdom in terms of plowing fields. Luke 9.62, Jesus says this, No one who puts his hand to the bar and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's what serving in the kingdom of God is like. It's like plowing fields. I grew up in the countryside, and I want to tell you this. Um, 
flying feeds. Unless you're a really diving old farmer, we're just really, really lovely to But I think this is the most exciting thing in the world. Do you know what you do when you fly feet? You go up, and then you go down, and then you go up. And, and you just try to keep the furrows straight and try to keep looking ahead of you. Um, it's, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. I, I actually, this might be that I'm a little bit sad. I actually do find it a little bit exciting, I have to say. Because I know when the fields are being ploughed, it's, it's springtime on the holiday. Sometimes they get ploughed up in the autumn as well. But I, I just think, well, sunnier days are here again. Well, for the rest of us in Scotland, I know you have sunshine all the year round. For the rest of us in Scotland, uh, it, it means that June is coming and we might get a <coughs> sunshine in the west. Jesus says that the kingdom certainly. He actually takes uh, a number of his illustrations about the kingdom from the world of farming, from the world of agriculture. Remember, he talks about the sower going out to sow the seed. He talks about farms. He's talking about spiritual laws that are reflected in the laws of nature. You'll never have a harvest if you don't plow your feet so seed in it. God has given us feeds to buy. He has given us feeds where we do our kingdom plowing. I suggest to bring people up with that. I want to suggest to you a few places. Your family's feed, your workplace's feed, the church's feed. And if you get any time for leisure, that's a feeling as well. Because in all of those spheres, there are people. There are people for you to affect and influence for Christ. We plow our feelings, we sow our seed. That is how the kingdom works. So how do you do it? How do we do it? First thing I think we've got to get our minds around is this. We've got to believe that God has placed us where we are. Elisha was born into a farming family. He didn't have any choice in that matter. He, he wasn't able to say to God before he was born, God, could you arrange it for me to be born in a wealthy family in Jerusalem, which is good connections with the royal family? Life doesn't work like that, does it? You know, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, we were all born in particular families, particular circumstances, with particular dynamics, with particular strengths, with particular weaknesses, with particular histories. You had no choice in the matter. Because of his family background, he had certain responsibilities. He didn't work in the fields because he chose to. He worked in the fields because he had to. 
It's just the way of the work for them. You know, there are some things in life that you didn't get to choose. There are some situations we face in life which we wouldn't have chosen if we had been given a choice in the matter. And sometimes that can, we can allow that to become a problem in our relationship with God. Because we think things, and we might even say things, God, only my family was different. God, only those people I worked with were different. And we might even say something, God, if you really sort out that church, things would be different. But we don't always get to choose, we don't always have control over those things. But when we believe that where we are, somehow in the divine providence of God is where we are meant to be at this moment in time. It doesn't mean we will be there forever. Though I have to say, your family is a forever thing. You're stuck with your family. But what we believe that we are, where we are, is God and His wisdom and His providence, His place is there. Life works better for us. Because we know that God's for us. Because we believe that God doesn't make mistakes. That He's wiser than us. And that He has our best interests in mind. You know, over the years, I've heard people say things like this Pastor, I don't think I have where I'm meant to be. I understand that, I get that. But if you go through your life thinking that you should be somewhere else other than where you are, you're going to be very, very discontent. And I would suggest to you, you will achieve very little. Because you'll always admit you did. Because the grass will always be greener. People say things like, when I look at others, I would say this to me also. When I look at other people, I wonder what I've done wrong. That's a terrible thing to live under, isn't it? Why would that Why would you think you've done something wrong? Why would you think that you're being punished for something? That, that's not our faith. Karma isn't part of, of the Christian faith. I remember years ago, we had this lovely family, Hindu background, and they all came to Christ. And one Sunday morning, one of the girls came to testimony. She said, she said, No, when I got saved, I was just so relieved that karma wasn't true. You don't have bad karma or good karma. You have a, a loving heavenly father who's for you. Or I thought by this stage I'd be. <laughs> Where did you think by this stage? Prayers. Anybody familiar with this song? 
start praying into those things. It's, it's tough. But Jesus said in Luke 18, he says, it says that he taught his disciples that they should pray, should always pray, and not give up. Always pray. Always pray. What if you're not seeing an answer to your prayers or you're not seeing the answer that you want? This is the conclusion that I've come to. What God's looking for is your faith. He wants people that will let hold of him and just keep going. We have, as a family, we have had some big challenges over the last three or four years, just one thing and another. You know what life's like. <laughs> and it seems that you don't find that once the enemy attacks you in one area, he doesn't just do an isolated attack. It's like he do two or three things at once. I tell you this, God is good, God is faithful. I also encourage you to pray in the Spirit, pray in tongues. Because it's powerful. Because sometimes you don't know what to pray for, but if you pray in the Spirit, you're praying in God's will, according to Romans 8. Believe that it's God's purpose for you to flourish where you are. Jesus said, his disciples, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. John 15, verse 16. Believe that God is going to bless you and make you productive wherever you are. God wants you to flourish wherever you are. You can flourish in the most difficult circumstances. Daniel flourished in Babylon. Probably the place that he would never have chosen to live. He would never have chosen to he would never have chosen to serve a Babylonian king or a Persian king who came out of the Babylonian king. He would never have chosen those things, but he flourished to the extent that they were asking him for advice. A foreigner and a foreign man who served a different god, who was prepared to put his life on the line because of his commitment to the god. God's purpose for you to flourish. He can make you productive wherever you are. A third thing about plowing your feet is if you want to plow your feet, bring the best out of the people who are around you. When you think about Elisha, his whole life was about serving. He served his father working on the farm, then he served Elijah his assistant, and then he served the Lord Israel's prophet. I heard someone say once that we often ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? When a better question would be, Lord, who do you want me to serve? If you can work out who you should be serving, you'll soon work out what you should be doing. <laughs> if you're not sure what you should do, find someone to serve. Find a new leader. Sometimes we get a little bit too mystical about God's will and what we should be 
Hebrews 10, 24-25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Do not give up, not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. I think that's, that's another way of saying, just think about how you can bring the best out of people. And don't give up meeting together. Stay connected. We need each other. Encourage one another. Encouragement. Connect. Thinking about how we get the best out of people. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Connect the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I was writing that verse out in my notes, and I made a mistake. And it went something like this. Let your conversation always be full of salt, rather than full of grace. There's too many Christians, aren't there, that their conversation is full of salt rather than grace. You don't want a mouthful of salt, do you? It's grace we need. So grace, so encouragement. Consider how to get the best out of people. That's a way to plow your feet and to make your life productive. We don't know how many years Elisha was plowing his feet for, but we know that one day when he was plowing his feet, God came in the person of Elisha. Met God. Can you imagine it? That just happened to be the day that Elisha had thought, do you know what I don't feel like trying to do? I think I'll have another, I think I'll have a lie in. I think I'll have a day off. I'm not sure if you did that option. But we do know this. That one day, as he was flying his feet, he met with Elijah. And he met with the next chapter of God's purpose for his life. If you keep doing what you're doing, eventually God will bring the life breakthrough. Maybe not in the way that you expected, maybe not even in the way that you're looking for, but by plowing your faith, encouraging people, by sowing grace, by thinking of how you can get the best out of people, you position yourself Set yourself up for something you never, never, never even anticipate. Praise the Lord. People of praise Keep plowing your feet. There's all sorts of other things that you can be distracted by, concerned about. Just keep plowing your feet. I'm going to close. I'm not sure if I've gone on too long or not. But I'd like to pray with you before I sit down. I, I don't know if there's any of those things that I should do in the place. But I, I, I'd love to pray with you. The fire on my hands, focus on this. And if, if you're saying, James, I'm certainly not saying, 
some things I'm struggling with are my old times and the time you just put your hand up wherever you are. I'll pray for you from the front. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you, God. Father, I pray for those who have responded today. Lord, I pray special grace for them. I pray that you fill them afresh with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you encourage them. Pray that you energize and give them fresh energy. Lord, strengthen their faith, I pray. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, help them to see that they're where you want them to be at this moment. And Lord, that you are going to meet with them in a special way. Father, I pray for us all. I pray for this church. Lord, I pray for your continued blessing on that. Thank you for what you've done in the past. Lord, I pray that what you do in the future would make even the best days of the past and look small, Lord. I know that's a big prayer to ask considering the history of this church, but Lord, we know that you have got great things ahead. So I pray you bless every church, Lord, on, on Kevin, on Isabel, on the team here. Thank you for them. And we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's hear about the rest of but I'm sure there was just something for everyone. That was just a great biblical Jesus, the Lord, and good advice given.